Hey everybody, welcome to the House of Bliss podcast, your favorite show that you've never heard of and the internet's best kept secret. I have an amazing show for you today. I got to sit down with one of my favorite people in the universe, Scott Crowder. Yes, I said universe. Maybe I know some folks out there. But for real though, Scott is a great friend. He is the pastor of an awesome little church called Dreamhouse in Newport News, Virginia. He is a prolific songwriter, preacher, artist, talker, thinker, writer, dad, and just all around great person. And I am so excited for you to get to know him if you don't already. He's been a huge influence on my life, and I must have quoted him at least a dozen times over the course of this show. And I'm excited for you to hear it straight from the horse's water, or something like that. But before we jump in today... I know for a fact that you will inevitably want to follow him and hear more of that sweet, sweet voice. So to do that, you can go to scottcrowder.org and you can also subscribe to his, subscri- subscribe to his podcast. I will go ahead and throw links in the description for you. So with all of that said, I'll play our theme song, which was actually recorded and produced by Scott Crowder. And uh, we will jump into our conversation. Thanks for tuning in. This is the House of Bliss podcast, and I have a very special treat for you today. One of my favorite people on the entire planet, the sweet, the, uh, I don't actually have any more adjectives planned. I was going to say adorable. That's not quite right, though. The fantastic, the brilliant, maybe. Those are all good ones, right? I'm still just savoring the sweet right now. Okay, all right. Savoring the sweet flavor. Yeah, (laughs) sweet is a great adjective. Um, Yeah, this is my good friend, Scott Crowder, and I wanted to share him with the world because he has so much goodness in him. I don't think I've ever walked away from a conversation with you, Scott, where I wasn't just floored by the beauty of Jesus. So Mm. that's, that's a really powerful and rare thing. And what's yeah, awesome is you don't. <laughs> what's awesome is you you're not a real preachy kind of person in the sense where you have to shove Jesus into the conversation. He just spills out of you so naturally. And so my idea was like, I just want to get you on the phone and share you with the world and let you go. And I know it's going to be awesome. Hey, all we can do is try. <laughs> let me just just be here together. That that would be enough, right? If we could just be here that'd be that'd be a great start so i'm glad to be in conversation with you bro it's it's a privilege and all those things that you just said man i i those are i'm so glad i don't have to live up to those things but you're you're saying that happens so praise god for that exactly and i know that you're a really thoughtful uh kind of person and so there's a lot going on under the hood that's something i talk about a lot on my show is not that you have to really try uh, to be a Jesus-y person, but if you spend time gazing at him, thinking on him, pondering him, he'll start to change the things that you think below the surface. And all of a sudden you find yourself just naturally being that sort of person who 
emits that fragrance of his love everywhere you go. And so I definitely want to ask you about some of those things. But first, I thought I might as well just mention um, you're the pastor of Dreamhouse in Newport News, Virginia. Yeah. Um, Scott's a musician. He's got several fantastic albums out. Something um, Your albums are on pretty regular rotation for us at our household. Actually, I was just having wow. a, uh, a soaking time with some friends and Unseen and Seen came on. And I was like, yes, this is mm. so good. <laughs> mm. yes. That's all I could hope for. Yeah. Really so to good. kick it off, I kind of wanted to just share a little bit about how we met and what initially drew me to you. And then yeah. I'll just let you go for it. So I think I first, first met you um, back in 2014 at a John Crowder event in uh-huh. <laughs> the world's smallest town. I can't even remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> it was Tim Wright's church. Man. Yeah. Well, it, it's the town that you, when you say its name, they say, no, that's, that's the bigger town. We're the smaller town. So oh. yeah, Tim Wright's <laughs> okay. church. Right. Yeah. No, there's literally like a hundred people in the town, I think. And there's like a Tim Hortons nearby. So <laughs> yeah, that yes. was fun. It was fun. And we didn't really get to talk much, but I didn't need to, to know that I liked you because you had this really twirly handlebar mustache in those days. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to me, that was all the conversation I needed. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, shortly after that, we let's see, we started having a little bit of Facebook interaction, but that was right around the time yeah. where you were going to release your album Upon Shoulders. And I remember yeah. when I first was like, whoa, this guy is special, is when I saw your video, that was your fundraiser video for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man, that's such a good video. That I that it's that was a happy accident, you know, which is all all great art should maybe be called that. But I uh, I just was, you know, sometimes when you're, well, here's the reality, right? Like you're putting out a record, and I've put out records before, and that old proverb of, you know, if some man cuts down a tree in the forest, and or if a tree falls in a forest, and no one hears it, did it did it fall? You know that kind of philosophical question. Those I've done records like that. Like, I, yeah. if you release a record but no one knows about it, did you really release it? So I was facing this reality that I probably should make some press to put this out. You know, probably should like work the media and in <laughs> whatever ways are available to uh, create a campaign of sorts that people might hear it. And I was thinking about what to do. And you know, honestly, when you don't have a budget or the, the video was an afterthought. So I was just going through pictures and videos in my computer and I was looking at my family and I was realizing that I should just be dead honest about where I've been and uh, share some of um, the highlights of my family and my, my kids and um, and just tell a story of where I was. And, and that's how it came out, you know, just a real honest representation of why I, I'm still continuing to make music. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I I remember crying actually the first time um, Mm. because I think what it really started to draw me to was something that God was doing with me under the surface, but it was um, that God really likes our humanity. And I I like to think, you know, I hardly knew you, but watching this, all this, um, 
you know, like family memories playing out on screens where you've got like sparklers and stuff and um, yeah. your church family, like shots of that and stuff like that. Um, it was so beautiful. I started to get this sense, like, I think, I think God actually really cares about our history and about our families and our memories. I think Jesus is just as wrecked by this video as I am. And that was a kind <laughs> of a new idea for me. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about that video. I, I, and I dare even open the can on it because sure. it's something okay. I've actually been able to go back and watch again. And it, it speaks to me and there's people in the, that video. I mean, there's my kids are in that video for anybody that would watch it. it you'll see my kids and my family and I'm, I'm really quick to, to kind of describe where I am in that moment of releasing the record. But then I'm including just the high, I don't know. They're not highlights. They're, they're whenever we play, hit record on the camera. Right. And we didn't hit delete after we watched it. We, we felt mm -hmm. like <laughs> evidently it was worth keeping in, in our age where we collect all this data. And, um, anyway, there's some people in those videos that are no longer in my life and seeing those moments, um, it's just really sweet. It just keeps speaking. And uh, it's it's a living encouragement to me. And, and I've been told to many others, so I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And for those who might not know what we're talking about, I will surely include it in the description. Uh, I'll put a link there for you. But yeah, so that, that really drew me to you. And then your record came out, I guess, again. And oh, man, I, I remember thinking... What kind of pastor is this guy? Like this, this record is spooky and it's funky. It's got kind of a uh, David Bowie vibe to it. I mean, it's truly arty in the edgy sense to me anyway, because, yeah. you know, you think like you have kind of this idea of what Christian music would be or should be. And then even an idea of what edgy Christian music should be like, oh, you know, let's just put distortion yeah. on here. But it was none of that stuff. It was it was like a completely different direction. And that also spoke to me because it kind of gave me uh, permission on some level to just make yeah. the kind of music that I like making instead of trying to fit it into some sort of, I don't know, Christian box or whatever. Yeah. Well, man, you, <laughs> what you said just a few minutes ago about um, – I mean, I, I almost wince every time someone says, man, a pastor made music like this because, <laughs> you know, that's it's like those are the cards I've been dealt by saying yes to being a pastor that forever, whatever I do, however I dress, whatever I say um, for good or for bad is kind of under that label that this guy is some kind of cookie cutter um, Christian cookie cutter, even in his personality, like he'll he'll laugh, but it'll never be too hard. He'll. He'll be smart, but never too smart, you know, edgy, but never too edgy. <laughs> and, and, and I, it's like, man, I've, I've never wanted to play that game. Right. But, um, just trying to be off, not even trying to be authentic. I, I, all I, all my best music is just what I can do, what I can make. So I just, I just try to do that. And, um, yeah, the labels, if we try to fight against the label, sometimes that becomes a real problem too. Oh, so just trying absolutely. to be myself on there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm a pastor, then so be it. <laughs> but I've, I've had it go the other way too, Cole, where, um, I released a record years ago 
and you have it because you know we've been friends and i've i've made you listen all my music <laughs> <laughs> um my record the, the album title is foolish beauty but the my band name at that time was dark little rooms <laughs> right. and i i released that record which is a very gloomy record and when i was living in wilmington north carolina um i was a I was just making money as a sales guy for my family. Um, you know, I'd kind of put my dreams aside of music. And in the course of that, I decided to make another record. And uh, a local writer wanted to interview me because um, I did send it out for press. And and I remember sitting down with him at a coffee shop and he just went on and on. It, it was really wonderful to hear about someone really digging on the record. And then halfway through the conversation, it became obvious to him that I love Jesus, that I was a Christian. And he stopped dead in his tracks and he picked the record back up. He had the CD. He looked at it in his hand and he looked at me and he was like, what do I do with this? He's like, what do you mean you're a Christian? What do I do with this now? And I just thought that was such a wild switch. Like somehow his brain, when he inserted a category, was undone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you don't have to look at it that way or you can, but however you want to discuss this, we I'm up for it. Let's talk. Oh, that's so good, man. I heard somebody talking about something like this recently where they said uh you know, there's like all this push right now for people to to not use Christian labels like well, I'm a Jesus follower right. or I'm a whatever, you know. Um but they said yeah. it's almost more fun to be adamant about using that language because when they meet you, it'll totally destroy everything they think they know about those labels. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, my, my friend, David Dart, you know, and I can't remember who he borrowed this from. Um, oh no, it's actually, he borrowed it from, um, Dave, the edge Evans of you too. Um, and, he was the whole thing was being i don't want to call myself christian i want to be called christian mm, like wow. like like if you see my life then that should lead you to say certainly this person follows this this jesus christ and i i felt like maybe that was the moment that happened from just normal conversation with this guy was uh this interviewer he finally stopped and he just realized that i was about something that uh my music didn't have to I I think he was wondering is was this here the whole time and I couldn't see it because I brought my own filters. I think that's kind of what he was thinking. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We do that, don't we? We bring our filters, and then when th something doesn't fit, we're undone. Yeah. Yeah. But I think all of that to say that really kind of leads into yeah. one of the questions that I wanted to ask you. I guess fast forwarding in the story too, I. I ended up asking you if you would want to produce uh, my first EP. I got to spend a whole glorious yeah. week with you and your uh, fantastic, beautiful, intelligent family. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> truly, it was great. And I still refer back to that time all the time. And then you mm -hmm. and I have been friends ever since. I mean, I don't yeah. know that we've ever had a conversation under an hour long. <laughs> and it's so effortless <laughs> and I love that. And I, I wish I could see more, but you know, I feel, yeah. I feel something uh, really powerful whenever I'm with you and I just see how you handle yourself and how you handle people. And what I think is really striking about you is you seem like a guy who's just truly present and is here to love 
and <laughs> doesn't really have any other agendas going on. And it's hard to, def it's hard to, uh, how do I put this? It's hard to know how revolutionary that is until you meet somebody who's doing it. And then you go back and you mm. look at all the stuff you're doing or maybe other people are doing and you go, wow, it's really extraordinary when somebody really just shows up in life. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's certainly something I'm, I try to daily per per pursue, you know, as we're constantly tempted to, um, to live by what somebody else wants us to do, you know, like the whole world of, uh, advertisements. I mean, everybody's constantly trying to make us do something with our bodies, whether it's eat a Hardy's sandwich <laughs> that goes all over your clothes as the commercials show us, or <laughs> if it's, you know, sit your butt down and watch TV all day or whatever it is. Um, I, I, th I think I just try to hear, hear the love of Jesus and, um, and just be honest, you know, just, just, I know I, I, when I think about it, Cole, I know my parents really pushed in me that I wouldn't try to be living up to some facade. I mean, and, and a funny example comes to my mind. I remember being 18 and deeply in love with Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> at the time. And I was strumming my acoustic guitar and I, I was singing and I was singing in the voice of Billy Corgan. I didn't know I was doing that. But I was trying to sound like Billy Corgan. And, you know, this is what we do. We try to emulate the ones that inspire us. Um, and, and I remember my dad was in the other room and, and he yelled at me and he basically said, I'm not interested in you trying to sound like Billy Corgan. <laughs> you need to find your own voice. Nice. I don't know that I reflect on that very often, but it's just those little nudges, you know, those little nudges is what we need to kind of find the courage to be ourselves. Who says that, man? Your dad's yeah, awesome. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> we, I mean, it, it's a courageous act to just be your bare self. It, it's, it's hard. It's hard to do that. Anyway, I brought all that up because one of the first sermons uh, I ever, I started listening to some of your sermons after our time together, and you did a series that truly, truly changed my life. It was formative for me. Um, it was called The Undivided Life. And I always joke around mm. that that's the sermon series that made me okay with mowing the lawn. <laughs> because I was like, <laughs> well, I was in, uh, you know, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. I was super fired up. Yeah. And there's like this concept of, you know, we all have greatness in us. We all have this destiny. We're all going yeah. for it. You know, we've got all these yeah. tools and authority and power. And But then I realized that there was this subtle thing in me where, Every time I would go out to mow the lawn, I'm like, if I'm mowing the lawn, I'm not hanging out with Jesus or I'm not praying or I'm not doing this. Mm. And then I knew this in my head, but I started to realize listening to you like, oh, if God is with us in all things, then God is with me now. And I don't have to try to crank out this thing anymore. Yeah. I can just be here, be me. So can you talk a little <laughs> bit about Undivided Life? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well... At our church, I was told that I kept using this one particular example that might have been the one that got you where I, we bought this house when we moved back to Newport News, Newport News, Virginia, and it was a wreck and it had been uh, abandoned. And uh, I'm not a fixer-upper person. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 
my idea of, of fixing up is like hoping somehow I get the money to pay somebody else. I mean, that that's <laughs> right. Cause probably similar to you, like there's other things I'd rather be doing. And so anyway, I'm, I'm challenged by that idea of pausing to improve my, my, uh, workspace or my life, uh, space like with my own hands. Cause I just don't feel up to it. So anyway, I was walking around our yard at the time that was just a total mess and trying to find some peace about the decision that seemed pretty obvious to buy this house that was being sold for less than it's worth. And, uh, I asked God, I said, give me vision for this, this house. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you about restoration through mm. this house. Well, I don't know, fast forward five or six years into the future and things don't look much bit different. And, and rather than look at God as if he let me down, I, I went back to that word and, and I just said, okay, what have you been teaching me about restoration? Like, that's what you told me that you would teach me about restoration. And, and he basically said to me, this is how I understood it. This is how it manifested in, in real words. What you've, what you've learned is if, if you don't do anything, nothing mm. happens. And what you and I could, and I, and I'm thinking, so it's kind of this living conversation. And I kind of say, said back to God, well, all, all I know what to do is like start using, a, like start using a rake and like getting these leaves up kind of thing. And it became this really holy provoca provocation of like, do you know what you and me could do with a rake, Scott? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like Moses yeah. with a staff, right? Like, do you know, I could lead, I could lead a people out of Egypt with a staff and you, you know, are you available with whatever you got? So like that became my example of examples all the time. Like, you know, almost in a, in a spirit of confession, like I still haven't picked up the rake. I, I'm scared to pick yeah. up the rake because, because I actually, just got plugged into this reality that with God, me and a rake could do maybe more than what I'm even up for. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so in that way, yeah, it's it, it's a holy thing to mow the grass, to to you know do the little things that are in our life because the little things are connected to the big things. That's so good, man. Yeah, I, I did. You ever watch that show, Tidying Up? Oh, I might have watched it once oh. or twice. Like about hoarder. I, I, I've seen like shows no, on no. hoarders. No, no, it's, it's not really that. It's it's okay. A, I, I, okay. Well, a quick synopsis. Um, just this this Japanese lady. She has a very kind of spiritual outlook on cleanliness, and it wrecked me. She yeah. doesn't necessarily go to hoarders' houses sometimes, but more just people who feel like their life is out of control. Uh, you know, maybe parents with kids. Whatever. Yeah. And then she goes and she teaches them that there's a deep link between what's going on in your spirit and yourself and, uh, the world around you. And, and, and yeah. that man, blow, it continues to blow my mind and just realizing like, yeah. uh, that we, we talk about, you know, heaven on earth, that kind of thing. Um, but why would I think mm -hmm. that heaven on earth is confined to just like healing people or whatever? Um, it's also about like, man, if my yard doesn't look like heaven on earth, I can, I can actually do something tangible about that. <laughs> well, well, that, that, yeah, I mean, I, that whole idea mistakes what's happening in heaven. You know, that heaven's only this place of what we have kind of consigned as this very small category of supernatural sure, activity. Yeah. But um, I mean, heaven and its, 
my idea of heaven rather than um you know uh, a stage scene that looks a particular way is this idea that in every space god's will is being done and and his will is just about the little things the minutia you know he's the one that genesis tells us put chaos yeah. into order so bringing chaos into order is what god who god is on earth so yeah i mean that's just we could talk about that forever goodness totally, gracious totally there there was um a a quote i you know you had when we talked about this conversation you had mentioned the undivided life series and i hadn't looked at it in a while um but i i looked up my notes on it and i came across a book that i was reading at the time and i felt like i should mention the name of it and read a quote from it cuz it it goes to write what we're saying right now it was i don't know how i came across it but it was a book um by a catholic priest um jose marie escrava who was alive during the Spanish um, Civil War. And uh, he wrote these little kind of directive books, like these books of these little sayings that are really practical. And one of them was called The Way. And, and in it, he was writing about little things. And, and here's a short quote. He said, do everything for love. In that way, there will be no little things. Everything will be big. Wow. Perseverance in the little things for love is heroism. <laughs> I mean, doesn't that describe a mother, a stay-at-home mom, or a, a, a dad who's working nine to five at some ugly yeah. shift because right. he's in love and he's trying to, he, he is bringing heaven to oh, earth. Oh, man. That is so good, man. <laughs> Woo. That's a quote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. And Again, just kind of realizing too, uh, that it's a bit tied to kind of that idea of dualism where you've got your, your spiritual yeah. and your natural, but living in such a way where you actually see the spirit of God in every blade of grass and every conversation. It's all holy. It's all baptized in him. And it's all part of the picture. Uh, <laughs> like this heaven thing isn't about escaping to somewhere else, but it's, it's like this place becomes that somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. It's communion. It's, it's, it's that co-union thing being in communion in community with God in my community. I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge thing to face and it, it can be daunting. I mean, I probably as I face up to it and get freed by it, I'm also deeply challenged oh, sure. yeah. by it. And and I'm I'm deeply I'm deeply challenged because I I constantly become aware that I have compartmentalized mm -hmm. my life. So when we're talking about being undivided, I'm provoking my mind and whoever's listening to this idea that compartments is aren't sustainable. And like sometimes we compartmentalize so we can get through a moment, sure. right? Like I compartmentalize my complaint so I don't speak that to my boss. And I'm going to, you know, so that we need to, in moments, uh, maybe use those ugly tools of compartmentalization. But I don't think that's the eternal plan. And I don't think that's really sustainable. I, I think what the Lord really wants us to be able to do is can trust, trust him uh, and trust the fruit of God, you know, which is righteousness, peace and joy and gentleness, kindness, you know, 
uh, patience, all these things in every situation. And when I do, I start to live undivided. I start to be my an authentic person and I don't have to hide um, the ugly because the ugly is, is not necessarily my whole being. It's, it's, it's something I'm dealing with myself as I present it to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Does that make sense? Like if I'm mad, if I'm mad at my wife, I, it's, it's, it's wrong to just entirely be angry, but it's also wrong to keep it from her. So I, I need to like say, Hey, I'm, I, I want to work through this right now that I'm angry with you and, and I'm not giving it to you to be responsible all by yourself. I'm responsible to it, but this is where I'm at. This is how, this is how you're affecting me. This is how, this is all, you know, all the reasons that I might be angry. We, there, there could be many, but you know, just learning how to, that's just an example. Just learning how to be where we are. That's a good one. I, so you said a, a word and it just pinged in my spirit a little bit was uh, the word hiding. Um, you, you planted a lot of seeds yeah. in my heart, uh, sort oh of goodness. to be, uh, to, <laughs> to have a, a healthy distrust that sometimes swings into wild hatred of social media. <laughs> the pendulum swings a little bit, but, mm. uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's, yeah, it it's, yeah, that's exactly what's going on is, uh, you're, you're able to hide so much easier when you can just you know, if something gets slightly uncomfortable or maybe even, oh, God forbid, like boring for a second, you can just retreat away to somebody else's life or some, some, something else is going on somewhere else. But anything, as long as I don't have to be right here, uh, <laughs> confronted with, you know, the idea that, like you said, restoration, God, that's what God wants to do. And, uh, and also you can, you can really yeah. project like talk about compartmentalizing, like you can really project yourself as somebody who's got all these things together. You can just sort of shove all the stuff in a junk drawer and never take a picture of it. But then you send all these happy pictures to people or whatever. And yeah, man, it's not sustainable. I, I think everybody yeah. has that crash eventually where they're like, I am not the person that I am uh, trying to show people that I am or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we're we're invited into every breath to be our authentic self, and and what that really means is not I figure out who I am and then I continually present that to God. It it would mean for me that in every breath I am just simply presenting who I am to Him in that moment. So if I'm angry, if I'm frustrated, if I'm happy, if uh, I'm just continually, as as Jesus invites us, to walking in the light. And and then if there's darkness that's in me, I I don't have to even necessarily, I'm I'm not left having to deal with that by myself. I'm presenting it to Him, and I'm allowing His love to manifest in those those places of scarcity. You know, those places where I don't think I have enough patience. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. And I'm inviting him in that moment to lead me, which, I mean, aren't we talking about discipleship? We're talking about following Jesus in every mm. step of our lives. All that comes to mind when you're talking about that. You know, because what we're talking about in one sense is like how categories don't serve us well, that we try to live up to a category or we try to run from a category. But what if we just kind of like, you go, maybe, maybe if I could dare try to connect this back to how you describe my record and making music. Like, I'm not, we don't try to, in art, 
I don't think the best starts like, well, I want to make it, I want to make a pop record, or I, I certainly don't want to make a rap record. If we're going after being authentic, whatever comes out, like steer that, steer whatever sure. you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Be, be I'm that. gonna make. I, nobody goes like, I'm gonna make the so, best non hip hop record of all time. <laughs> I mean, I think people uh, do do that, and 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 maybe it could turn out well for them. But I, I don't think at the end of the day you go, man, that that just oozed <laughs> authenticity. You'd say, well, that was a great classical <laughs> record, you know. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> Here, so obviously, like I'm influenced pretty heavily by a lot of the theology of like John Crowder and stuff, and just and just understanding that in my true self, there's no darkness. I've been made new. Um, I'm I'm this new holy you know, person, but at the same time, I find myself running into stuff where I'm like, well, that, that shouldn't be there. What the heck is that? You know? And I'm wondering if some of that yeah. has to do partly like with our propensity to categorize things and to try to compartmentalize and separate and divide, which is not something that God's doing. Um, it almost creates space for things to manifest that shouldn't be there. So for example, with, with my music, I know anytime I try to, to divide my music career or whatever from my family, they always seem to be in competition with each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? And it creates this space where anger and frustration mm -hmm. and impatience, uh, those things can kind of occur. But when I slow down and I stick them back together and I go, no, 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 I'm going exactly at the speed, uh, that a dad should be going with this and I don't need to try to be somebody else or compare myself, then all that anxiety goes away because I'm not trying to be somebody else. I'm not trying to live up to some standard, man. I'm just a dad who loves music and loves my kids and I'm content to go at whatever speed those yeah. things are compatible. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, we were talking about what makes us feel successful right i mean what makes us feel is that uh, right sure. yeah i think right? so is that in there or? I, I think yeah i mean you know like so at the end of the day when i laid my head in my pillow was it a good day you know like do i i don't know there's different ways to think about that what what makes us happy in one part <laughs> i mean we're kind of talking sure. about that well i i so i'm looking at my notes from undivided life right now as we're talking and uh this quote from She's becoming a apostle for many. Brene oh, yeah. Brown. <laughs> Brene Brown, who's who's written some great books about being ourselves, our true selves. And this one was um she was talking about wholehearted living. I can't remember the, what book this was from. Um I, I could I could find it. It's it's on page ten. I did I did write as page ten. Wholehearted living, she says. So undivided life, we're talking about that. And and you're talking about Man, when we when we maybe pit um, certain parts of our life against each other, or they feel in such tension that we can't come to a place of feeling maybe even good about ourselves because we have these different parts of us that don't seem to connect, and we care about them all deeply. That's that's what yeah. I'm kind of hearing us talking about. She she says she's inviting us through this quote here into what she's referring to as wholehearted living, and she says that's about. Uh, and isn't before I read it, isn't that what we want? We want our whole hearts on, on. I want to be on in every area of my life. I don't want to have any drudgery. I don't want to have any, any place that's dead. Yeah. I want to be alive and whole. 
So she's inviting us into that. And she says that that really is about engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness, which to me is, is very much what Jesus gives us when he says, um, you know, I will die on the cross for you. He's saying like, you got, you're so worthy. You're worthy of my love. I love you. You, you have value. So she sang, Brene Brown sang that we will start living wholeheartedly if we start engaging ourselves from a place of worthiness. And she says that means cultivating courage, compassion, and connection to wake up in the morning and think no matter what gets done and how much is left undone, oh. I'm enough. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's so, I mean, to me, that's, that is, that's the heart. That's what God the Father wants for me as his son. That, you know, I've heard it said, there's enough grace for today. So if, if nothing, um, nothing gets, something doesn't get done, or even something that I'm supposed to do, Cole, you know, like I, I, I know we're charismatics here, but I, uh, I pray a prayer every morning <laughs> that, you know, Father, forgive me for what I've done and forgive me for what I've left undone. And, and often it's not what I've done I feel bad about. I feel horrible if you really push me around into what I've left undone. So R Brene is saying, no matter what gets done or what is left undone, we need to come to this place. And, and I would say in Christ, the place is coming to Father and you by, by the love of Jesus, by where you've placed me in yourself. I'm not here by just what I've left undone or what I've done. I'm here because of who Christ is in me. And now that brings me forward into this place where I can receive your love and receive your grace and mercy. And I can have my heart made whole. Yeah, man, that's, that is so good. <laughs> that is so good. And, and that, that invites, that invites me the next day. If I just continue the thought to, to be vulnerable again and not make, you know, not make um, these like false walls of security in my life. Well, if, well, if I get this, I'll be a good enough father. If I don't do that, I'll never be a good father. But if if I can come vulnerable, I can actually receive um, God's love for me in all those areas. And my courage rises, right? My compassion rises. My connection to those around me rise because I'm I'm not keeping a part of myself off to the side so yeah. I can complete a task. That's, that's the great uh, invitation here. Absolutely. We're talking about, and I think. I think that uh, lends itself naturally when you begin to live that way to, to give that space to others. It gives you like so much more compassion because you kind of tell. Yeah. It, like I said, when I met you, I began to get a grid for something that I had never really seen before. And that's living a life where somebody is fully showing up. Uh, once you start to live that way, you begin to recognize quickly in other people, like what might be going on, like not in a judgmental sort of way or a presumptuous way, but you start to see like, mm. Oh, like this person is acting out or doing this because they've probably got something going on inside of them. Like what I had. And it allows you to, to not only have deep, yeah. deep compassion and space for people, but also uh, equips you to help them kind of connect the dots a bit. 
so that they can live that way too. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm encouraged that you say I, I've done that. <laughs> I'm not aware that I'm doing that, but I, I know I've become more sensitive in, in a right way and I don't want to lose that and I don't want to lose it. You know, it, it's like when I went on a sugar fast, uh, you know, I broke a sugar addiction, suddenly food started tasting better. And, and when I would even maybe try a glazed donut <laughs> or a chocolate chip cookie as a treat, I realized it wasn't even a treat anymore. It didn't taste very good. Um, some of those things, I mean, <laughs> some of those things tasted even better, but the things that were made, some of those things sure. that were made with false ingredients, you could taste like almost like the plastic mm -hmm. in there, right? Is like, that formaldehyde? Like, oh, this is not good for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just call that stevia. Um, no, anyway, that's a joke. Um, I, uh, <laughs> someone's offended. Sorry, you know? sorry um, if you have a stevia business. I, uh, we love you. We really do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I, so like in relationships now, if I see someone wrestling with something they shouldn't, man, I, I would, I would, a deep sense of love would be that they could be unburdened, that they wouldn't have to play out. Yeah you know, that script of uh, puffing themselves up to seem tough to get through. Like you're going to get through, you'll be, you'll be okay being weak and vulnerable because, because those qualities are actually good qualities in the right way. You know, like, it, you know, the scripture tells us that we're weak when we're weak, he's made strong. I, I think that's true that when I can learn to be weak with my wife, um, there's a strength yeah. that comes in our connection that wasn't there before. Cause I'm trusting I'm, I'm making space for her. I'm making space for, for who That's God so is. That's so good, man. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I wanted to kind of ask you in a different direction. This is something that was kind of burning on my heart this week is I'm, I'm noticing you probably might see some of this too. A lot of people seem to really be going through crisis of faith, like all kinds and in some mm. ways, I think the question yeah. behind the question behind the question for a lot of Christians is, if God is good, how can A, B, or C happen? And unfortunately, I don't think mm -hmm. most of the church cultures that a lot of us are brought up in really give us tools to handle those questions and doubts. Uh, and so you kind of, what happens is we stuff them down and we're like, woohoo, God is good. God is good. God is good. But then like catch yeah. you at the right moment. And those things come out of the closet and swallow you. And I'm seeing that happen to so many people right now. Um, and so one, another thing that I really yeah. love about you is you are always, uh, you have a real passion for Jesus and maybe not in the sense of like a over the top, you know, Chris Overstreet character or whatever, which I love Chris Overstreet, but you, you do have like a really resolute, passionate yeah. love for Jesus. But man, I've talked to you at times where you're really going through it, uh, like as a pastor, as a dad, mm. as a friend, um, all kinds of stuff where like the worst situations that people can go through. And yet that faith is there. That spark of faith is always there. And I'm just curious, man, like what is your, yeah. Yeah. How do you stay rooted in that genuine faith? Oh, and, and also too, I want to throw in that, um, you're not the type that strikes me as someone who buries their head in the sand intellectually either. You're not like afraid of questions or 
you'll you know you've you're really well read so you know tons of different ideas out there so you're not a stranger to some of the different arguments people make but you're just rooted in jesus so how how do you how do you stay there scott man there's so much (laughs) i could try to say (laughs) i'll go to a story like when i was um 21 22 maybe i was i was finishing up uh, my my senior year at um, the bible college i went to which was somewhere in between seminary and um what people think of bible colleges it was it was more of like okay. a ministerial training school um not unlike bethel uh but the high emphasis was on uh servant leadership and uh they they make a lot of folks that go there typically become pastors okay. or missionaries and um so so it's good a lot a lot of bible training but a lot of experience of working with people so we would work with um the poor we'd work with um folks in prisons um you know every week you're assigned working in a difficult place and uh, my senior year we were doing an internship in uh Miami working with various communities and it was a nonstop schedule and some days we would we would work with three different groups uh you know like just it was hard it was it was physically tiring and it was hard ministry working with some just hopeless situations and uh there i am 21 wanting 22 and uh just i'm in miami i want to go to the beach right like can we go to the beach can we can we enjoy some of uh the possibility of miami and uh we were in uh a morning devotion session and this sweet lady that was on my team, uh, that was in her 30s, she was a leader of our team. She said, I've got, gr-, you know, as, as we sat down, she had her guitar that she loved and she would play. And uh, she's, she's about to go into some worship time. She said, I've got some great news for us today. It was supposed to be our day off. She said, um, I've got some great news for us today. I know it was our day off, but we have this really special opportunity to go minister in this uh, particular neighborhood. And I was not feeling like that was a special opportunity. I was, I was, I was physically frustrated, physically angry. And I was probably already back then working on some of this learning how to be authentic stuff because somehow she picked up on my negativity. I don't know if I was saying anything at the time, but what I do remember is is her confronting me and basically like trying to call me forward into just being entirely positive about it. And I asked her, I said, I said, can you, I won't say her name, uh, but I said, can, can you just give me some space? Just give me a few minutes here to, to go through what I'm going through. Cause it's, it's not a big deal in, in the light of eternity that we're not going to the beach today, but I'm just bummed out. Can you just let me be bummed out? And I don't want to like put a fake Christian grin on it. And I remember she just wouldn't let up. And and finally I said, listen, what would you do right now if I took that guitar out of your hands? And I'm not telling you I'm going to do this, but I just want you to think about this for a second. If I took your guitar out of your hands and I smashed it on the ground and then I handed it back to you. And then I said, don't get angry at me. Just sing a song of God's goodness. <laughs> How would you feel? And it, it, as you can imagine, it, it, uh, it sparked some controversy. <laughs> that I would say such a thing, you know, in a a meeting of devotions. 
and and I, we we worked through it and i i felt you know what's cool about what we're talking about is those moments yeah. are recorded in the bible you know jeremiah is one that comes to my mind where jeremiah has been written down and recorded as divine divinely inspired text for us to read and glean from he has recorded some of the biggest doubts about god and god's character and and the bible doesn't hide that from us it invites us to see that that is part of the human experience that this life is full of disappointments and god often appears entirely silent and uh the bible is not afraid of that and in fact um you know i i know I know what people have taught about it, but you know Jesus's words there on the cross are are echoes of silence, of echoes of you know why have you forsaken me? There's there's a moment of considering. I've been abandoned by God. I mean, I I know I know people say that, that well he wasn't really saying that, but those are the words he said, and and I, I so in recent memory, Cole, I, I was I was struggling with this again, just struggling with my life is it is my life adding up am i adding up god do you add up and um i was in a, a session uh with a catholic priest <laughs> Back to again the I'm, I'm not catholic but I'm, i love the body of christ yeah and and uh he asked me this great question in the middle of kind of my complaining and kind of woe is me about i don't know what to do uh with my life and and some like overarching storyline. And he said, well, what are you after? What, what really matters to you? And um, I, I said, well, I guess giving God glory ultimately is what matters to me. And he said, well, why wouldn't you give glory to God? And, and I think there's something in here for your question. I, I was thinking about Jesus and I was thinking about him on the cross. I think we've talked about this. And I was thinking how Jesus is on the cross and maybe in that moment, as we we read the text, he had even let's just call it a temptation to somehow think mm. <laughs> this isn't adding wow. up. What he what he inevitably did, what he inevitably did, was trusted the Father with his life. He made confession, and with that he gave his last breath. His last breath wasn't doubt. His last breath was a confession of trust. Uh, so for me, how I stay in it is is to keep my entire dialogue before the Lord and, and to keep returning back to this testimony that keeps going back, that goes back to the source of Jesus, that he trusted God with his last breath and, and his best day that gave the most glory to God <laughs> was his worst day. Yeah. He didn't do anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was his worst day. His friends abandoned him. Physically, he's been humiliated and scourged down to the bone. They say that people threw feces at those that were being crucified. It's a horrible. I can't even comprehend. I mean, it certainly is anything the human person's ever experienced as a low. Jesus had it. And in that moment, that is seen as a great testimony to God's presence with us 
And we see from those that follow Jesus that they were so convinced of the reality of who he was and through resurrection, that in the resurrection is a huge piece, that because Jesus trusted Father and he was raised to life, that people would then position themselves to repeat times of uh, suffering and being in silence and crying out to God and no one answering you as you're maybe tortured or, or you're broke or you're out there on the high seas and about to crash. People kept trusting, keep trusting God. And, and what I, I stood before a church, I'm sorry, this is really long and wild answer, but I, I remember standing up on Easter Sunday one day and I had just had two of my closest friends die from alcoholism within a month of each other. Both of them had been in my life for over 20 years as huge encouragers. My grandparents had both died um, within that uh, a year. And and there's other things, other disappointments had happened of friends walking away from God. And, and I'd been in a radical season of learning so much and historical yeah, criticism. Yeah, I was touching on that a little bit. That yeah. is, uh, it will mess with your brain. Yeah, I, I'd experienced that in a greater measure that was really challenging my thought life and my devote, you know, my belief in God. And I'm supposed to preach on Easter Sunday to our, our church. I mean, it's the day of days to profess with, with a glad heart who Jesus is. And I remember just making the decision that it, my, my best sermon isn't about me. My best sermon is pointing to Jesus anyway. So let me, let me just go do that. And, and when I said to everyone was, like, I've got so many more doubts today than I've ever had. <laughs> this is my sermon. I said, but what I know is this. I, I, I really do know this is true. That if you follow Jesus, no matter what seasons might look like, the truth is there's this eternal fruit that's being, uh, that's coming up that's, that's follows following Jesus where the whole world has been turned upside down, mm. where slaves have become free, where, where there, there is no division between, there shouldn't be between Jew and Gentile. Where, where, uh, you know, what Paul said, male and female, these divisions are, are muted. Like, hum while we have a lot of work to do still, Cole, we're in such a different place than where we were 2,000 years ago. I just see Jesus continually bringing fruit into my life. And while I might have a season of lack, I, I, I know that's just a moment of silence of maybe not getting what mm -hmm. I want, but there's more there than I realize. And, and so I just keep trying to posture myself um, to stay in his face, to stay following him, stay trusting father and bearing my heart and soul in the process. Man, that is so uh, there's, good. There's a lot there. Uh, I was going to ask you a little something about, I had this phrase kind of tossing around in my spirit about hard won encouragement. Uh, because when you, when you encourage people, you're not doing it from a place yeah. of like, everything's gone just fine for me. So like, I can, I can totally afford to just throw platitudes at your face all day and, <laughs> you know, and just like, if you're not feeling better, you're the problem or something. Um, yeah. but no, but you're, you're one that is speaking to this reality of yeah. resurrection yeah. life, uh, who's gone through like the really dark moments. And so it is sort of a hard won encouragement. Uh, that you can give to people. And I also appreciate that you're able to say some of those things. I, I feel like, I mean, most of my listeners are 
coming from, you know, the more charismatic tradition, not all, but some, most of them are. And so yeah, obviously like I love the people who point to the idea of like the declaration being really powerful, um, staying positive, like keeping yourself rooted in yeah. a heavenly mindset, that kind of thing. Um, but however, yeah, <laughs> there comes a time where just saying, I'm one with God, I'm one with God, I'm one with God in the mirror all day, <laughs> aren't, aren't going to like do the trick. You have to just bear your soul and say to God, like how you feel and allow him to meet you there. So that's kind of what I'm hearing from you. It's not about just reciting positive stuff all day long, Yeah, <laughs> but it's about fully connecting with everything. No, I, I absolutely. I mean, that, that, that is, that's the gospel that, that, you know, and, and here's, here's a, a fast fact. You can, you can call something gospel when it contains a, um, hmm. the testimony of God's action towards you. So that, that's what makes something good news is that God's actions are towards us. So when I'm thinking of what you just said, and I'm thinking of the cross. Well, and the cross is the biggest statement of God's action towards us because we see Jesus suffering. He, God came to suffer with us and to not leave us there, but in, in the suffering in in the presence um, of him, and even in suffering, there is this hope yeah. that this is not my whole story. That resurrection is coming, and I trust the Father, even in this moment that seems like a death and, and a, an irrefutable loss, because there is loss that you don't get back in this life. But the promise of the resurrection, you know, and go to 1 Corinthians 15 for those who are looking for it, is, is the promise that all creation is made new and that the dead are restored to life and that this this life mm -hmm. is not the whole story there is more to come cuz i don't i don't i won't get those friends back on this side of life and i feel a gaping hole of their presence yeah but Ooh. that's not the whole story and and jesus's resurrection gives me the information i need to point me towards hope and 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 having that hope in suffering is the seed of joy. That's where joy happens. And and knowing there is hope even in this horrible Man, that's situation. That's such a good thought. I I remember uh maybe a month or two ago, it just hit me fresh. Um I think I'd had like I grew up obviously well not really my dad. My dad's always been on the know, but I guess in a church culture where it's like by and by, yeah. pie in the sky, I'll fly away, yeah. heaven somewhere else. Uh, and then coming into this understanding that heaven is here now is so powerful yeah. and amazing. But I realized that I kind of forgot in all of my preaching of that, that like one of the most astounding and incredible, uniquely Christian promises is that I'm actually going to get to eat dinner with my grandparents again and with my, with my friends again that have died and stuff like I'm actually going to sit in a physical body and speak to them again. That's going to happen. That's amazing. <laughs> I kind of forget, I for, kind of forget like, oh yeah, like 
That's crazy. Like, I obviously yeah. believe it's it's here now. There's so much tangible, rich hope right now, but also coming is something so mind-blowingly sweet yeah. that there is actually something beautiful to look forward to that is transcendent beyond our pain. It's huge. And I feel like I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't mention in this moment, as we're talking about joy and the expectation of good things to come and suffering, you know, where I live is where, uh, mm. where the first slaves came to America and point, point comfort. And, um, uh, you know, the 1619 400 year anniversary just happened. And that's when they came. The, the first slaves from Angola came to Hampton, Virginia. And, um, I, I live the town over. It's the same place. And I, I, I'm bringing that up because we know Jesus is not yeah. the savior of white people only, right? Like, come on. Like, and, but, and I think about the black experience. If you're, if, the African-American experience in our country was generations of slavery. So can we insert a message to them of heaven on earth? And it's just all laughter and it's just all, you know, this overflowing joy as they're whipped, as they're beaten, as they're separated from families, raped, abused. Like those are realities that a lot of people go through still in, in different ways. And I think that message doesn't connect to people's experience. And it's basically, it's like, we want to say, no, the joy is bigger than your experience. And while that might be true on this cosmic level, it, it almost is like avoiding the the struggle that's there. Um, I mean, I, I dare say, I don't know that, that that heaven on earth message has has thrived in black church America. I, because it's they've had a different experience, and and I know this is a huge topic, um, so I, I'm trying to make it somewhat brief. I, I think what we're talking about of of learning to see that what ha what I'm promised in the resurrection, uh, that that encounter of what you just described, uniting generations that have been separated, of um, not ignoring. Like God doesn't ignore my seasons of struggle, but he's actually in there with me in the struggle and his peace passes my understanding so that even when I don't feel it, I don't have to somehow be ashamed of myself before God, but I can actually like Jeremiah say, woe is me and, and, and God, I wish you were closer and he's still right there with us. Like, I, I, I think we've got some lessons to learn, um, in, at least in the stream that I've been in of making room for a larger experience with God and a bigger joy than, yeah, than we've I, I think that makes sense. In. I think it's a bit of a, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm still wrestling with some of that stuff currently <laughs> in my understanding. Um, but I, you know, I do believe yeah. there is this, uh, there's this rich, tangible, presence of God that is able to like truly lift our spirit, even in the midst of the worst stuff. But, but oftentimes like for whatever reason, sometimes that's not the experience. And when it's not, if you're not careful, how you go about sharing that with people can actually make people feel worse because <laughs> they're like, <laughs> they're like, wait, I don't feel it. What's my problem? Yeah, like, what well did I do? And <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. 
Well, that is, you know, when I think about that particular experience of, of, you know, slavery in America, I think about the songs that were, you know, gospel music yeah. itself was created from that, out of that time period of, of lifting up the weary head and saying there is more and, and almost codifying in this secret way, um, how to be joyful with God, even in the field, you know, as you're under the burden of a, you know, of, of slavery, but I, I don't think that that negates, you know, that doesn't negate the rest of the experience. Like it goes together. And, and I think we see that in life of Jesus. I know this is, this says almost like a left turn. I, I'm sorry. That, that's uh, kind of what happens. No, We're I'm totally talking. cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Well, let me just say this to that. Like, so in talking about Jesus, um, there's this icon that I, I've, I've used to just remind me and, you know, icons are the best way of thinking of icon is like theology and picture form. And I've got one called Jesus, the bridegroom. And, you know, that man, I'm so glad that he's calls us his bride. And that's what a beautiful picture, but this bridegroom picture is, um, it's him before Pilate, And he's like, you can see his, the, the bones of his thinness, his hands are bound. He's got the crown of thorns. His head is down. He's very humble. And I got this particularly because while I, I love, I, when I think of Jesus often, I think of the victorious, the um, resurrected Jesus, you know, the happy Jesus. And I got this to remind myself that there is no difference in Jesus, the happy and Jesus, the humble. And and this um, bridegroom pic- picture, what it speaks of, is not just simple suffering and humility. No, it it's him um, coming into the uh, expression to be with his bride, who is bound, who is lonely, who ha- who has been humiliated, and you know we're talking about. Um, mankind, you know, separated from the love of God, that he binds himself to be with us in that place of difficulty. And and when we embrace him in that place, when we know he's there, that does set us free from our captivity, which which rounds out our conversation. So I I don't think we we get free from our doubts by just looking at a happy God. I, I think it's actually looking at how God comes into our experience and, and just learning how to abide with him in our pain is so key. Um, I mean, that's what we can learn from the, the gospel <laughs> uh, music category and what, and what the black church has taught, yeah. um, which is teaching me still to this day that, that it's the same Jesus. And isn't he so great that he doesn't <laughs> just come <laughs> Looking like Ronald McDonald. Cheer up, champ. <laughs> but he but he comes looking like Here's us. Here's a sucker. <laughs> whatever our season. Yeah. He comes he comes looking like us. <laughs> yeah. Here's a happy meal. That's what communion is every time. You know, it's like, no, it's not a happy meal yeah. every time. Um, uh, it's also yeah. the meal where you were betrayed and, and you let me know that. And in that place, being with Jesus is the secret sauce, right? Like and he comes to be with me even better. That makes the, uh, makes it a gospel experience, not just my experience. Now it's gospel experience because God has 
come to be with me in my pain. That's what keeps me going. My friend, uh, that makes me happy. Up here, my friend Matt uh, Spinks, he always shares this example that's so powerful. Uh, like, there's this Robin Williams movie where his wife dies and goes to hell, and anybody is in hell. Yeah, yeah. They lose, you know, yeah. they lose their mind. The dreams may so come. He decides, yeah, that he would rather be in hell and lose his mind as long as he's yeah. with his wife. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And then the, you know, the happy ending. But it's like, that's yeah. so crazy, man. That Jesus is not like this, uh, like this blimp out there somewhere that we need to get to. He's like, and he's also, yeah, he's not the the eternal happy meal guy who's just kind of like disconnected from our experience, but he's in it with us. He would rather be with us in our self made hell than be happy without us, you know? Uh, yeah. Are you talking about mowing the lawn again? (laughs) No, no, I've actually come to, I've come to love mowing the lawn. I was maybe trying to you oh know, sure okay yes yes finish finish with the joke sure started, it's all but, about it's all yeah. about mowing the lawn if you can get that right you've got it he's pulling the string with you he's getting gas on, on man amen you know, spoken like a true pastor Scott <laughs> all right cool well thank you so much man I I loved our uh our conversation that felt a little bit like a maze and a little bit like a stroll in the park all at the same time. But there were so many good stops along the way. So thank you for taking the time, man. Really appreciate yeah. it. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for asking me. I'm, I'm honored. Thanks so much for listening to the House of Bliss podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider signing up for our Patreon. All you need to do to get started is hit the link in the description. And for as little as $1 a month, get access to all kinds of amazing behind-the-scenes rewards and keep this ministry going. Thanks so much, and God bless.